another podcast brought to you by Team Twerker. Today I have Juno Kim on the pod. And if you are from Vancouver, you will know Juno for many different labels. And he is a beautiful soul who has reinvented himself many times over. If you're not from Vancouver, you may have interacted with this beautiful soul uh, on the internet because he did create just true art is what I want to say, culinary art, and Instagram took that to the World Wide Web. All that to be said, what I want you to know is that I had the opportunity to witness Juno's craft from afar as a chef. And he was a chef that many companies in Vancouver wanted to hire to create, you know, a really exciting experience. I'm thinking of like taste bud explosions and artistic and mindfulness delivery of a meal you would call Juno. And what Juno shares is the evolution of leaving that career behind and walking into who he is today. And without losing, you know, I pause here. I'm like, he's walking into who he is today without losing where he's come from and almost going back to the very beginning and incorporating some of his childhood practices of joy and fun and play into his life. And he is an inspiring soul in real life and online, and I really appreciate what he had to share with us today as it relates to reinventing yourself all the time and the ever-changing essence of who we are. I hope you enjoy. I hope you relate. Juno, welcome to Uncorked. I feel like I need to bring my enthusiasm levels down a few notches, <laughs> yet you need to know emphatically, I am so thrilled that you said yes to jumping on this pod. And I really appreciate your time. So welcome. Thank you. And dialed down with a full heart. I'm stoked that you're here. <laughs> stoked to be here. It was so nice to connect with you at Connor's event. And when you asked me to be on the pod, I was really excited. So the day's oh. here. Well, I love an excited Juno and let's go with excited Juno energy. Um, I wanted to kick this off by asking you to introduce yourself. Uh, who are you, Juno Kim, in 2023? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, who am I? I feel like I'm a generalist, if I need to sum it up real brief. Um, mm. It's something that I think in my 20s I didn't embrace. I was always told, you know, master, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. And, you know, I believe that adage. And I think um, in my 30s, I'd start to become clear, like, oh, actually, there's a lot of magic, a lot of power, a lot of uniqueness in being a really thoughtful, intentional generalist. And so, yeah, I think that's what really makes me who I am is uh, mm. a conglomerate, a constellation of different life experiences and skills and interests and passions and, and how they all kind of synergize and come together to make me who I am. Mm. I love that constellation metaphor because I'm really obsessed with mushrooms and foraging when the season is right. And I always think of the mycelium network and how connected we are in the soil. And what I just got was an image of constellation connectivity and how we are also connected and even more beautifully or brilliantly stated is is the stars of yourself and how they are connected. So I'm wondering if we can go off of that and perhaps in the most general of sense or as specific as you'd like to be, um, can you share how some of your passions have, have connected or are connecting for you right now? Oh, that's a great one. 
Um, I actually just launched a new project called The Felt Sense. And I feel like I feel like everything I do in my life is a culmination of all my previous experiences. And it's like, how can I bridge and connect just like the mycelium network and bring all these together like an orchestra? And so um, just to rewind a little bit, even when I became a, a chef, which is probably what most of your listeners know me as, um, when I started as a chef, it really was a conglomeration of all these different experiences that I had. And it was an expression of that into one art form of food and, and creating experiences. And so that taught me a lot. And, and I think that combined with my healing journey that I went through, as well as my studying of psychology, science, sociology, um, as well as a plethora of different experiences in terms of work and, and career choices. And all of these things kind of come to a head and um, for the felt sense and the felt sense is an offering that focuses on providing kind of like a playground of exploration um, a multi-sensory experience that's really thoughtful intentional that touches into multiple senses so that people can start to explore what embodiment means what embodied mindfulness is and to do it in a way where it doesn't feel like going to the gym like for a lot of people if you're not into meditation and you're not into mindfulness kind of feels like doing work right like you're it's like doing this workout but for your mind or your body and i want to provide an opportunity for people to touch into like their sensual pleasure and do so in a way where it kind of brings them to feel into these different states that mindfulness can get us into without it feeling like a chore or you know task and so yeah Okay, we need to go further off of this. I want you to play, you know, in the orchestra, the instrument of the felt sense. Can you tell us more about what does, what does this look like? What does this feel like? Where are you showing up? Where are the places that are calling you to, to bring this work to life? Yeah, and so I think the events themselves will be hosted in different kinds of places, and they'll all kind of have their own different um, feel to them. And I think that's on purpose. So if someone comes a lot, they can kind of see like how the different conditions that I present to them affect their own felt sense and their own experience. And so one of them, for example, will be at an art gallery um, and then will feature a sound bath as well as some little bites of food that I'm going to make, um, some fermented things, some roasted things, some raw things. Um, there'll be some movement. And so all of them will kind of have some sort of movement, some sort of sound element, some sort of taste element, and some sort of visual element while the whole experience is curated in a way where it will have, you know, even outside of those like exercises, if you will, uh, that they'll have some sort of sensorial aspect to them so that as soon as you enter the space, it starts to kind of take you into a different world, one in which you kind of have permission to just explore and be curious and and play with what your attention does and, and things like that. And so, yeah, they're all going to have a different vibe. I'm playing a different one in like a garden and that's going to have a different kind of sound component, um, different kind of movement component. But I think the through line is essentially having these really interesting curated experiences that really allow for people to touch into 
a deeper sense of their body-mind connection. Mm, it's so powerful. I've been indulging in some podcasts lately about um, how, how we really can't separate sort of like our gut and our brain, if you will, from probiotic perspective to neurons to what is being digested where and i think it's so powerful and and in this the same thing i think can be translated over into the world of work and that we think that we can be different people in different aspects of our lives and i wish for us to all be on a spiritual journey that is expressed so fully in the workplace because it feels like it's the place that it's missing in the same way how do we not let mindfulness feel like a chore Oh gosh, it feels like the beginning of being a spiritual beings in, you know, all aspects of our lives. Um, Juno, I wasn't overly in, I was intentionally not overly prepared for this because I wanted to see which direction we are going to go yet. The, the direction that feels, I feel really called to explore with you is the push and pull of creation. And so, of course, you went to here are the new things you're bringing to life and you've brought things to life and we've known you as different labels or iterations of yourself. It's been, you know, of course, so fun to, to witness you on that journey. Um, and I see, I, I don't know how to necessarily articulate this best with words. It's like flowers that pop. I have dahlias in the front of my garden right now. And it's like, you see this, this bud come and it pops and it's a flower. And then next the petals fall and then another bud pops. And I feel like you've really put yourself into that, um, compression of like waiting to burst and you burst and then you've let some petals fall and you've gone on to create again. And so I'm wondering if you can share perhaps even that mind body connection that the ego and heart connection of, of bringing your creations to life and how it feels in your body and how you've let it lead your the way to, to where you are today. Mm. Wow, I love that analogy stuff. And, it's, you know, I think that's how I approach life intentionally now. But I would say it kind of happened by accident before. Um, but I love the idea of the flowers, especially because, especially nowadays, it's like all I care about is planting the seed and creating the conditions for things to come naturally and organically. And so just like you mentioned, you didn't want to be overly prepared that's part of kind of my approach. Like Emergent Strategy is a book that I just absolutely adore and it really fuels the way I approach life where if I'm so focused on like where I wanna go, I can kind of miss opportunities that arise in, along the way that might you know, be more aligned with what I wanna do. And so really allowing for intentional, thoughtful seeding and then allowing for a lot of curiosity and space and presence and allowing mindfulness to, to really uh, allow me to lean into that, that moment to moment fluidity. And then allowing my curiosity of what are the conditions for things to arise that really serve me or others or what I want to express. And so some of those things, um, some of those ways I think when I was a chef, that career kind of kind of fell on top of me in a way where I couldn't say no. And it was something that I, I was I was good at, I was really passionate about. And that part was kind of accidental if I'm if I'm you know honest about it. 
And then after that, when I start to hit the burnout and start to realize like, oh, I need to change something and I don't know what it is. And I really held on to that career because it was kind of what everyone knew me for. And through that process of having to center my own healing and my own well-being, and then going through that process of really letting go of something that I, I identified with so strongly, speaking of the ego, like it really became what I embodied. And I kind of lost myself in the process. Like I mistook my career, the, you know, the online presence, the reputation, the, what people see when they attend my events, I mistook that for who I was. And when I was able to shed that mask and shed that identity, then it kind of created all this space, a lot of confusion as well, but through the confusion, which I believe wisdom comes from, uh, that allowed me to really find who I am and be able to, I think, really, really begin to accept like who I've always been and just lean into that and then allow things to emerge from these, that rich soil and the cultivation of the conditions. Hmm. I, I mean, I, lo I love this because we could riff on soil and the, the necessity of rich soil for a long time. I'm, I'm deep in the work of Stephen Cope right now, The Great Work of Your Life. Have you read that book? I haven't. Tell me more. Oh, well, what I want to tell you is that you need that book. And um, I say that because so much of the book that the subtitle is a guide for the journey to your true calling and of, you know, it's, it's rooted in some yoga principles and it's rooted in um, a lot of analogies and, and parallels with some of the great, you know, people of our time in the last hundred or 200 years. Um, yet it speaks to loving work enough to jump out of bed and and do the work and and a lot of you know the work whether you believe it or not um around dharma and and what is our what is our dharma what is our truest calling and you know i'm a dr uh, yeah, drunk sober but recruiter i'm drunk on the notion of wanting to connect people to their work i i get up in the morning and i realize that um you can't always find dharma on a resume and it's really challenging to convince people to articulate their truest selves on linkedin and so i want to come full circle and you know 10 minutes ago i said juno would you introduce us would introduce yourself to us and i'm wondering if i was to ask you now who are you and who are the you that you have uncovered with the seeds and the soil and the conditions that you have and i'm not saying it would be any different i just think that i can't not ask you that question after you've just left us the seed of like who who am i yeah, I like the full circle. Um, you know, it's funny because I still struggle to answer that question because I don't think it can be put into words for me. Like, it's mm. not something that's like, oh, this is what I am. I think what I am is fluid and dynamic and it changes and shifts moment to moment. And I think that's what I really uncovered about myself. Whereas before, I thought I was a fixed entity. It was like, I'm Juno Kim, I'm a chef, I'm this, I'm that. And for me now, it's like recognizing how fluid I am and like moment to moment, that can mean so many different things. And I think I get in trouble when I get stuck and fixated on one particular expression of myself. And so mm -hmm. 
I would say it's hard to pin down because it's fluid and dynamic, but also that it goes underneath, maybe it goes underneath words and concepts. And really it's like a felt sense of who I am, like mm. what I feel at my core and my belly core, um, thanks to my teacher, Rev. Angel Kyoto Williams for kind of connecting me back to my core. But we talk about the gut microbiome being, you know, so intertwined with our our brain, our physiology, and, and, you know, nowadays it's kind of fluent in our understanding how important our gut microbiome is. And in ancient Chinese culture, they, they call it, well, say ancient, but to this present day, they call that area, uh, the Dantian. And it's kind of our energy core where, where everything, all our movements, our expressions originate from and developing an embodied sense of that area gives me like a, like a felt sense of, of who I am instead of having to put some sort of label because mm. the labels really fall short. Like they mm. have their own meanings that others have put onto them and they create these boxes. And I really think that when we get down to the core of who we are, we're not really pinned down into these boxes that these labels create. And so, yeah, that's the long one. <laughs> And answering who I am, but it's still kind it's, of it's perfect. It it's it is so fluid, and I think that the joy of recording these conversations that we label as podcasts are really just that conversations that give. Um, I'm going to say permission for the people that are listening to this to reflect on what might be true for them. And you know, when you say boxes, I go to like. I, the image I see in my mind is like a moving box that you might wrap with tape and then take a black Sharpie marker and pretend to write some of the contents or inform someone of what room that box is going to go to. And that couldn't be further from my wish for any one of us on this human journey right now. May you never be put into this thing that hopefully is strong enough to take you to the next place with a label that is, you know, merely scribbles of a few words as directive for, for the next person, like heck no. So, um, I, I love that. And to our friends that are listening, like get rid of the boxes in your life. You're not, you're not going anywhere with someone else taking you there in a flimsy box. Like may your sweet spirit and core guide you there. And I really, I love that. So I don't know. This is not normal, but we're really riffing. You're making me riff on these metaphors that that make me really feel into the conversation. I appreciate it. I'm hitting the pause button on this sweet episode to tell you about something that you might like. Our newsletter. We call it the Corkboard. It has all things juicy, whether you are looking to keep in touch between episodes or find out more about our coaching, development, or hot new jobs that we're working on. The link is in our show notes. Your inbox is sacred and your time is too. So now let's get back to the episode. You mentioned core and um, I know you you also mentioned uh, the notion that mindfulness could for some feel like a chore or something to do in the same way that, you know, moving our bodies for some folks might feel like a chore. I'm wondering what your relationship is with moving your body. And is it something for you that feels like a chore? Do you have a preferred way or time of day or no thank you? What What is that for you, Juno? Oof, I don't know where to begin with this question because it's actually so central to 
my journey. Um, you know, I think when I was young, I was kind of a lazy kid. Like I wanted to watch TV a lot and I wanted to sit on the couch and lie in bed. Um, and my parents, I'm Korean, um, and my parents uh, wanted me to practice Taekwondo, which is what many, many Korean kids do. And so there was a uh, Taekwondo in my life at an early age. Actually, that's what got me into meditation in the first place. My master showed me or showed, you know, all of our students um, how to do a very basic uh, meditation, watching the breath. And, and so that was kind of the seed that was planted that kind of sprouted into one of the new expressions now. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, Taekwondo was something that um, got me moving on a regular basis. Um, it also is full contact. Um, it can be full contact. And so it definitely gets you like even into like receiving a lot of impact and, and giving impact and, and then after that, I always played team sports um, after Taekwondo. Um, and so, and during, uh, I played volleyball and basketball in middle school and high school. And then I wasn't very good though. And then I was on my dance team in high school uh, in grade 12. And so I always had something that got me moving. Um, but I would say that I also carried a lot of trauma, which I didn't realize. I broke my arms and legs um my leg my right leg and my both my arms in, in different accidents throughout my childhood and i didn't realize how much of an impact that put on my body and that the i would feel the reverberations of those injuries throughout my life especially through my time as a chef and so um, my right leg for example when i broke it it was in a full leg cast like from toe to like upper thigh and so my knee and ankle were immobilized for eight weeks and after that, and it was a really heavy cast. Um, and so after that, it created a lot of asymmetry in my body and my body kind of learned not to put weight on my right leg. And so after that, in my twenties, I kind of gave up all sorts, like any sort of team sport or activity, Taekwondo. I, I stopped around grade, I think going into grade nine is when I stopped Taekwondo. And so um, after university, other than coaching my high school dance team when I was in first year. After that, there was no physical activity um, other than going to the gym and then having these like spurts of like wanting to be someone who's fit. And so I'd have these like binges, these like health binges throughout my 20s of like, okay, this is it. This is like, I'm going to be a regular gym goer and I'm going to be going on runs and doing high, high intensity interval training and all that. But it always fell off at some point. Um, and I didn't realize until my 30s when I met my my teacher, Rev. Angel Kyoto Williams, how much of my body was affected by those injuries, as well as like a lot of emotional trauma that got intertwined into those in injuries. And especially my time as a chef, I had a lot of movement, repeated movement patterns that were then baked on top of those injuries. And so it created a lot of movement challenges. Um, I went to see a physiotherapist and, and learned that I had um, hypermobility. Um, I had a lot of posture uh, issues, uh, scoliosis that I, that I developed in my adulthood. And so a lot of the pandemic was actually stopping going to the gym, which um, after during my healing journey, when I retired as a chef, that was when I finally actually got my fitness like 
down, but I didn't realize that the heavyweight training I was doing was actually exacerbating these injuries that I had and these dysfunctional movement patterns that I, that I developed. And so a lot of the pandemic was actually resetting my body, coming back to like, what I want to say is like ground zero, seeing like how I can start to use embodiment to tap into my body, to not only find where those movement restrictions or like stuck tensions in our nervous system, these, like my fascia, for example, was like kind of all, I don't know what to say. Um, Stuck. Stuck. Yeah. All my fascia was stuck, shifted. And so there, I think that was when it really clicked for me that like, oh, this mindfulness thing isn't just in the mind. The shaping that we've received throughout our life, whether it's from just the shaping that we receive socially or perhaps injuries you might have had, emotional issues that you had as a child, all of these things play a role in how our bodies are shaped in the present moment. And so kind of the past lives in your body. And with the the grace of being able to meet a couple incredible teachers, Hiro Demachelis is another one that I'll put into the space. Um, those two teachers really showed me a way that I can access my body through my attention awareness and really embody the present moment in a way for my body to show me where kind of the next unfolding, like the untangling of this knot, like where that next fold was ready to go. And then following that, like kind of like a paper trail and releasing all of these, these folds that have kind of entangled themselves in my body. And mm. now that that's been happening, um, I've been finding like yoga, for example, like finding yoga to be a completely different practice than what I was doing, you know, six, eight years ago. Um, noticing how my walking, my eating, my standing, like all of these things that you just take for granted, how mm -hmm. much, how much, how different you can do those things. And, and so, yeah, noticing a lot of my scoliosis um, kind of healing a lot of my fascia loosening up and shifting, reshifting back to alignment, finding a lot more alignment, especially in my joints. Um, and so lately I've been getting back into more intense physical exercise for the first time since before the pandemic. Um, and it looks like a few different things. Um, first, I have a morning yoga practice every morning that every time I don't do it, I, I can notice my body my body's alignment not being aligned <laughs> and so finding that to be a really a really great foundation um, to start my day with and then I've been folding in more and more physical activity like um, cycling running as well as um, taekwondo again and so mm. I think the last time I practiced taekwondo was when I was 14 years old and I just started to practice. I'm two months in to practicing Taekwondo again. And it's something that I decided to do for a few reasons. One, because of that leg injury, a lot of my disconnections are in my bottom half. And Taekwondo is very bottom half uh, focused. And so something that will really get me into a lot of my legs, as well as uh, tapping into my inner child. Like it's something mm. And then just completely disconnected from um, after after middle school, and then 
reconnecting to my heritage, which is kind of something I ran away from for a long time, especially in my 20s. I, I really tried to distance myself from where I came from. And, and uh, so this is kind of a full circle moment for me to return to something that I did when I was younger that kind of checks mm. a lot of boxes and also strengthening the nervous system, which is something that I think would really benefit everyone to, to mm. have some sort of practice that just consistently rhythmically and um, yeah, strengthens the nervous system's ability to mm -hmm. hold more and to release. <sighs> yes. Full circle, full circle on movement, on the power of movement, the importance of movement, and not taking for granted what we can do. You know, I heard you say going for walks and the healing journey of, of being able to do things without pain and then realizing what you can do to tap into pleasure. And then remembering that as children, we only knew pleasure. Um, I actually was listening to a very sweet podcast this morning that that I have to share um, because it spoke about compassion and kindness. And it was a professor from, um, from London who did studies that uh, they did studies with two-year-olds. And I was like, Oh, are you making like monkeys out of toddlers? But no, um, they, they took a two-year-old and two-year-olds would do anything to help you. So of all the, this is a, a generalized study, yet the, the two-year-old would open the door if they saw you couldn't open the door. And then if the two-year-old started playing, they would jump over their toys to get to the door, to open the door for you. And then if you put a two-year-old with toys and a hurdle to jump over in order to get to the parent that's coming in the door with their hands full, the toddler would make those leaps and not only would they make the leaps to get there without knowing who was on the other side, they would greet them joyfully. And I didn't quite believe it. I was like, are you sure? Would everyone do it? And it's because they own like at that age. And of course, you know, pending your circumstance and your environment, but their hypothesis was that they had only received that kind of energy to them. Because young children, we want to tend to them and, and we haven't, you know, taken them to this place of, of ego and figure it out yourself. And so, you know, if I can say it sounded like by default, these children only knew compassion and kindness. And um, I bring that up because when I hear you talk about yourself as a child and bringing movement back, I'm like, imagine movement wasn't a to-do list and movement was joy and compassion for yourself and it did feel like play and and what a beautiful thing that would be so a bit of a tangent yet it does come back to one of the only questions i prepared for you and i feel like this is the perfect like i don't play pickleball but if we play pickleball you just like served me the ball i really wanted to know juno your relationship with to-do lists and with productivity because I have a story that says the more mindful we become, surely the less productive we will be. Surely you can't crank through as many things. You need more space. And I know deep down that's not true. Yet our mutual friend, Hero, she always tells me, slow down. You'll get there faster. And I was like, slow down. There's nothing, there's nothing fast about going slow. 
and my heart rate goes up and I freak out and I just think, right, slow down. You'll get there faster. Um, Juno, the child in you or the adult in you, you who you are today, would you tell me about your relationship with to-do lists and productivity? Maybe I'll begin by saying I've been, I've had a lifelong battle with procrastination. And so we'll start with that. I fully agree with Hiro. I think this is the most productive I've ever been. And it's also the least urgent I've ever been. Um, and so I think, I think that there's two different ways I feel into this. One, my to-do lists are more intentional now. So there's less stuff getting on there that shouldn't be on there in the first place. And I think that comes from a presence of mind, checking in with my alignment, my gut, my core, and really being able to discern what it is that I want to do and what are the things that will actually get me to where I'm going instead of what feels like, or maybe I'll say what suppresses the discomfort of not being where you want to be. And I think that part was really key for me because I think hustle culture was something I was really steeped in as a chef. And I remember as long as I like put in so much work that at the end of the day, I was exhausted. If you count my hours that I put in, it's like, oh yeah, like I could not have fit anything more in. I would feel so accomplished. And I didn't realize until the pandemic when I couldn't use hustle culture anymore that it was actually me trying to suppress a discomfort I held inside. And that discomfort, I think, is familiar to people who find meditation to be challenging, like to be able to sit there and not do anything. This like discomfort comes up of like, there's something we gotta do. And that feeling, which, you know, I think we'll say for another podcast of where that comes from, but that feeling, that discomfort, I think is what drove me in the past to really just focus on brute force kind of work, like really doing as much as possible. And now it's more discerning. There's a lot more intentionality of like how I'm going to do the work, when I'm going to do the work, and really actually checking in with my mind and body to feel, is this the time where this task will actually get done? And so not only is there a more intentional and curated to-do list in the first place, but I allow, I allow what's emerging moment to moment to really lead my approach into how I'm going to work with this to-do list that's in front of me. And another thing is that like in the past with that brute force method, I would feel great at the end of the day because that feeling's not there of like, oh, I didn't do enough or... Um, you know, I could have been more productive. And instead of leaning into that, like trying to abate that discomfort, just really feeling into how, like how I want to do the work without, and like really feeling into like how I want to be with the work in, instead. And so, yeah, I feel like this, I feel like this um, this new approach I have allows me to be intentional with the repercussions of the way I'm doing the work. And so instead of like that brute force method where I'm exhausted and then I'm gonna have to somehow 
heal that exhaustion that I just created through that urgency, through that tension, through the stress, through the exhaustion. And I'm not calculating that part. And so I think one, th well, I won't put words into Hiro's mouth, um, but maybe the way I feel into how slowing down is faster is that you're not creating all of these repercussions that eventually are either going to lead to time spent unwinding that or suffering one of the two if not both and so really leaning into like a more holistic wide awareness approach of how to be productive instead of focusing so hard on just getting shit done for the sake of getting shit done <laughs> totally oh i love it and i appreciate your declaration of you are a recovering procrastinator who um, now works with a lot of intentionality to get things done. Because I think a lot of us can relate to the hustle culture, whether or not we want to believe it. It's like even living in this city can create hustle. You feel like you have to be in different places and, or, you know, you even get to be, um, you know, I moved to a small town and it's a lot slower. Things close at 5 p.m., you, you make joy, you make things happen in the evening because there's just, there, there aren't these like distractions um, in the same way. And yet I feel deeply into what you're saying about the feeling of getting shit done that, that does come at a cost. And I think all things come at a cost and we don't think about that cost when we think about what we're saying yes to. Um, something Matt Corker used to tell me all the time is the most expensive word in our vocabulary is yes. And if that's not the truth, oh golly, I don't know. You know, <laughs> he's on to something. Um, okay, I have another question for you about intentionality. And that is because to know you or to witness you in any form of your craft would be to associate Juno Kim with intentionality. And what I mean by that is it feels like be it the brands you associate with, you choose to wear, you choose to curate your life with are so intentional. And I don't ask everyone this question yet. I have to ask you um, if there are certain brands you are inspired by, you feel really drawn to, what is your affiliation with intentionally curating the things, and I say that in quotations because I feel like you are so intentional about those things that come into your life and yet, you know, be it the bag that you carry, the socks that you wear, the art on your walls. Can you tell us a little bit about the like inside the door of Juno Kim's art soul or closet for that matter? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I'm getting better with intentionality in all areas of my life. Like, I, I would say, like, there's some areas where I could be more intentional. I'm definitely not perfect ever. Um, okay, yeah. start there. Tell us the spaces that are messy. You have? Do you have anything that's messy in your life? You know, like, let's take fashion, for example. Like, um, I don't know if you know this about me, but before I was a chef, I was in the fashion industry. I was a buyer and... Um, and so I've had a long convoluted relationship with fashion. And so back in the day, it was about impressing people. Like when I was really young, I was really wanted to impress people. So that's kind of what I centered 
the intention behind my fashion choices is like definitely parts of self-expression, but also like really leaning into what will, what other people will like. And that has kind of shifted. Like when I was a chef that became like, oh, I'm going to buy clothes that make me, you know, fit this vision of what this like, you know, hip chef would wear and like that will get me clients. And like, you know, I think that intentionality was there. Um, but then it kind of, as I came out of being a chef, it, I kind of like lost a centering of what it, what I wanted my clothing to do. And actually at the time, I guess this is all really intentional as I go through it. But at the time I was like, I really want to let go of caring about what others think. I don't want to like have to keep branding myself. I want to be like, I want to wear clothes that are functional for like what I do. And so like, I'm in Vancouver, I'm outside a lot. And I saw I need like rain gear. I want it to be like really minimal because I don't want the clothing to like be some sort of form. Like it was when I was starting to get into Buddhism. And so I was getting into really like minimal and like I was almost approaching fashion as like, like not monk robes, but in the sense like these, this just like hyper-functional clothing that like I really don't, um, that doesn't express much that's just like so minimal and i went through a phase of that and um and then i started to think about you know the greater effects of my clothing choices and so like the world is on fire currently and a lot of the the fashion choices that we choose affects that and so um you know i i think i I think the the self-judgment that arises where I'm like, I could have been more intentional sooner is like, I could have been buying clothing from thrift shops like way earlier. Like I could have been buying clothes that aren't, you know, mass produced that are shipped globally. And, you know, I can't say that I'm perfect with that because sometimes I just need like a really inexpensive basic and living costs are so high that I can't not get like really inexpensive basics. Um, but as much as I can try to support either local, um, creatives who are creating, uh, things that I, I like, and I think I've stepped away from the minimalism part and I'm wanting to be a little more colorful these days. I want to be, I want like my clothing to feel like when people are around me, an embodied sense of what I want to express into the world, which is embodiment a sense of well-being a sense of joy and wonder and curiosity and not saying that my clothing always reflects that but that's kind of like my north star of like what i want what i wanted to to do um and yeah i think i think intentionality is something that's really important to me and i find that i'm learning more and more these days to have a wider awareness and noticing like, you know, in the last few years, like how I'll get, while developing a wide awareness, I still have these like moments of like really honing in on certain aspects. And so the intentionality of those things will be really high, but sometimes it'll sacrifice the intentionality of other areas of my life. Um, one, one point of intentionality that I've been exploring the last year, which has been wow, a challenging journey to say the least is learning about things that affect um, our, our hormonal system and as well as like forever chemicals and forever plastics. 
all these things that are just everywhere and it's so hard to get away from them um, pfas is a term um, for some of these forever chemicals but there's new ones being created all the time and, and i'm watching this capitalist machine go oh people are like now not going to buy water bottles that have bpa and so they're going to write bpa free on the bottles but then create something called bpf which is actually worse than bpas were in the first place but now they can put BPA free on the bottle and we'll buy it, not knowing that we're actually ingesting something that was worse than what was the thing that we were trying to avoid in the first place. And this is incessant, like it's everywhere. Right now I'm looking at trying to reduce the amount of plastics that I use, especially in the kitchen, anything that'll go on my skin. And it's just so challenging um, because Unless, and you know, maybe I can get to that point of intentionality at some point, but at the same time with the things that I'm doing, I still need to buy certain things that are pre-made and whether that's to-go packaging from restaurants, like, or um, the electrolytes that I just bought, that I was trying to find one that was really great. And I found one that was really great. And I realized it came in plastic container with a plastic eye drop. And I'm like, great. So I'm like trying to be intentional as possible, but knowing that it's a practice, not a perfect. And, and so I think every little bit helps um, in terms of intentionality, but I also don't want to get to the point where it's running my life and I'm creating contraction around it and stress and mm. you know, more, more room for joy, less, less room mm -hmm. for restrictions. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's a balance. Yeah. I love that. I, I just made note. It's a practice, not a perfect of all of the things. Um, if I were to ask you, though, three brands that you feel drawn to that are joy aligned and values aligned and would bring more intention into our lives, what comes up for you? And if you need help, I'll give you a, a room of your house to go off of. Oh, that's pretty good. I'll take a look around. <laughs> Ocean is one. Shout out to Courtney Chu. Oh, it's spelled O-C-I-N. It's um, sustainable uh, swimwear. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of biased because it's a good friend of mine that makes it. Um, but the work that she puts into making as much of an impact as possible in terms of not only awareness, but um, doing things in a way that kind of allow us to shift towards a more eco-friendly, sustainable world. Um, yeah, so shout out to Ocean, for sure. Ooh, brands. Um, I've been really into um, supplements these days and like really thoughtful and intentional with uh, what kind of supplements enter my body. Um, Harmonic Arts is one that I'm in love with, um, as well as Genuine Health. Those two are kind of like my, my go-tos. Um, I have a few friends kind of in the supplement industry, and they've told me that most supplement brands use ingredients that you would never want in your body. Like the quality and what else goes into them is just not something that they would ever ingest. Um, and so doing a lot of research with um, my naturopathic doctor, as well as these friends who had some insider knowledge um, and knowing that those two brands 
uh, are really well vetted and checked out. And so that would be another one. What's another brand? Where do you, know, you go to for your basic? Oh, sorry. I won't say um, I won't say a brand, but an app called Yuka. Why you? Yuka, and it's not a perfect app, um, but in this journey of like trying to minimize, you know, products that affect my hormonal system, um, products that leach forever chemicals into the world, um, this 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 app called Yuka, you can kind of scan the barcode or search for a product, um, and it'll come up with like all the ingredients and what they know about it, and. It is insane because I think some of the brands that you would trust and think like, oh yeah, like that brand would be a really great natural brand. And it's when you start to look into it, sometimes yes, and most of the time, in my in my experience, most of the time I'm like, oh my. And so, um, they the brands putting people's health and well-being first. And there's not many of them. I'll say that in, in my research. Um, most brands just care about the marketing and the profits, especially if they're publicly traded. And the brands that really are using any ingredient that will affect your endocrine system or leach forever chemicals into the world, like those are the ones that I, I really support. Um, and so I guess one brand that I found that's like, fully almost fully committed to that i think there's like some antibacterial cleaning products that don't fit the bill but like outside of those like all their skincare i believe i could be wrong but all the skincare and cleaning products that i use in my home are completely vetted for any sort of endocrine disruptors or um yeah anything that's super super harmful obviously we can't avoid anything that's harmful but just those really big ones, especially endocrine disruptors. Yeah. Yeah. So powerful. Attitude. Attitude is the brand, if I didn't say it. Attitude. Okay. Um, the the power of talking about our hormones, it's mm -hmm. like it feels like a misconversation, something that we don't speak about, but really is driving all of it. And you started at the beginning and sharing, you know, about nervous system. Um I feel like our nervous system, our, our hormonal regulation or dysregulation for that matter are so, so important. And they feel like the things that happen inside that we don't see. And when you speak about intentionality of living, sometimes that can be external. And yet perhaps the most intentional thing we can do is take note, however possible, if it is a naturopathic doctor, if it's blood work to, to check in inside, um, yeah, big, big time. Sure. Tis the season. Yeah, and I think gut health yeah. has been kind of front and center yes. in everyone's minds. And I think hormonal health is the next one that's going to become front and center. But the challenging part about hormonal health is that it's so holistic and our medical mm -hmm. system is so specialized. And so yeah. it becomes this health, health, a dimension of our health that is so mm -hmm. central to our well-being. And speaking of constellations, I would argue maybe it's the most holistic one where it is affected by like everything we do. And yet our medical system in the way we train the specialization of doctors doesn't create 
specific roles that can handle how holistic this approach is. And so mm -hmm. there have been some hormone health, hormonal health centers um, popping up in the world, and they've all had to have different special, like specialists working together. But, you know, healthcare is expensive enough. And then all of a sudden you start to think like, oh, you can't actually see one person. You're going to have to see a whole group of specialists that work in tandem together. It really, for me, sparks a curiosity of like, how can we really approach deep well-being in humans? Um, and I think, I think we'll find a way, but right mm -hmm. now, um, if I, if I may offer, um, focusing on hormonal health, gut health and spinal health, those three, if you can get those three on track, I don't think, I think like your well-being will be, you'll be thriving. It really, mm -hmm. those three really tackle every, I could be wrong, but in my experience, really for me, tackle every aspect of the constellation of our well-being. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. I would just add in that spinal health has a sister cult core. So on the other side of your spine is to strengthen your core. And you've got that. Juno, uh, you know, we must wrap this in a bow. You are a beautiful soul. I appreciate your nuggets, your apps. I appreciate the intentionality to which you consider questions, your metaphors, your life force, your boxes without labels, and the reminder that we are in fact all fluid. And we are in fact, I mean, let's go there. How much of our bodies are made up of water? And yet how much of our lives do we resist? And being in your presence makes my heart beat a little bit slower with a lot more joy. And for that, I'm so grateful. Yet we have to end the podcast with the, the opposite question. And the question for you today is what is making your heart beat faster? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a lot of things. Um, shout out to my partner, Nicole Napez. Um, who's always there for me and, and uh, does that. But I will say Taekwondo in this moment because, you know, I'm 35 and I'm getting into, I just got accepted into my school's high performance sparring team, which is like full, full contact. We trained for like two to two and a half hours um, a session. And then my plan is to enter the next tournament that pops up and spar, you know, full contact against other people who are most likely going to be in their 20s at the peak of their athletic age. And, you know, as someone who's had injuries, who's had um, some mobility issues, like I find that to be a little on the intimidating side. Like I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like scared, but I'm like, Ooh, like that's going to be a challenge. And my, I get a little excited. I get a little grin on my face. Like, and uh, tonight's actually our first, um, the training kind of happens in these spurts and, and the, the training uh, program starts today for this time around. And so that's getting my heartbeat going. Like right after this, I'm going to go eat a good meal in preparation. I have my, my sparring gear ready to go and uh, yeah, going to see, see what happens. Hopefully I don't get injured. <laughs> Oh, that is joy. And I mean, the full circle is may the child in you 
who is not 35 come out to play tonight and for this journey and what a joy to realize that you had to be who you were to get to this moment in time and now i wish for you to go back and and hang on to baby juno who is just up for such a good time i know it (laughs) thank you thank you for your time i really appreciate you and your light and your devotion to making vancouver and beyond a better place we're lucky to have you Likewise, thank you so much, Steph. Thank you for your time and for having me. And you know what makes my heart beat faster? The fact that I get to share with you that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with More Good Media. Our friends over at More Good Media are spreading the good word, one conversation, one podcast at a time. So thanks so much for your support. We are so glad to be here in partnership. Oh, hey, before you go... You know, listening to podcasts on this thing called the internet, it's a wild ride. And what would be so helpful on our wild journey is if you would be so kind to jump on and give us a review. Four, maybe even five stars. It really helps. Thanks for joining us.